0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now here's Kevin. Here they are. One strike away, one out away. Three, two. Here it is. The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. And Trent Williams' helmet isn't comfortable for him. I promise we're not doing that today. Actually, we will do some Redskins later on because I did no Redskins today, Aaron, on, on the radio show. As it should be. As it should have been. But the podcast is different because I know a lot of you, as you are on the radio as well, are listening for Redskins News, and there was some of it yesterday. But wow, what a night. The Nationals won the World Series last night. And you know, there was a big sort of feeling and takeaway at the end of that game last night and maybe as they were building that lead up you know from the seventh inning on and it was this it was for those that are going to describe it and there were many that did after the game and have done during the course of this postseason as some sort of cinderella you know um all-time under uh, underdog shocker it's just not true this team is really, really good. The best starting rotation, superstars offensively and defensively, they have been the best team in baseball since May 23rd. That's five months now. And I'm surprised that Vegas didn't see it coming and a lot of the pundits didn't see it coming. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Whenever you're listening to this show, this is one of those days where you know we haven't had many of them around these parts you had it a couple of years ago with the capitals and i know some of you really you know a few of you really celebrated the mystics championship here recently but for the four major professional sports it is just the second title and it's two in two years now and it's really, really cool that it's the Nationals for me. I am so happy for Mike Rizzo. I am so happy for people like Ryan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer and Howie Kendrick and, and Anthony Rendon. You know, the list goes on and on. I, I was saying earlier today that, you know, not all championship teams look alike. Not all, all championship teams um, sort of, you know, uh, evoke the same sort of emotion. Now, if you're a fan of a team and that team's a bunch of bad boys and a bunch of guys that aren't necessarily individually likable, you're still rooting for that team. You know, Detroit fans rooted for the Pistons. Raiders fans love their bad boy Raiders. But this team is likable from all corners. People were genuinely excited about the Nats winning the World Series last night. I'm not talking about DC. You could feel it on the post-game shows, a lot of the former players, a lot of the analysts, a lot of the true broadcasters. There was a sense that a really good team with a really good bunch of guys won the World Series last night, and it was awesome. Uh, It really, uh, you know, we're not getting comfortable with championships at this point. It's just two and two years, all right? But from going from a city that seemingly never won anything and, you know, you get that reputation of D.C., Sports City, they don't win anything. They haven't had a team win anything since when? You know, uh, 1991 was was what we talked about for so many years and now twice in two years. There's going to be another parade, people, another downtown parade on Saturday at 2 o'clock. You know, Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock. Crazy time for a parade, sort of, but whatever. Um, we'll 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 certainly be there for it. The Caps thing uh, two years ago was really cool to be there. Um, it is fun to win, and when one of your favorite teams wins it all, uh, there's nothing better. Um, I, I want to start though with sort of a macro view of the city because I think we've sort of talked about this to a certain extent, Aaron. Aaron's here, by the way. Tommy's yes. not going to be here today. Um, he's on a flight back, so he will uh, be in tomorrow. Um, but this team, you know, had a great season regardless of what happened last night. They had a memorable October regardless of what happened last night. Um, but this was a great baseball team. This was a team that's been 86 and 43 since May 23rd. They were really good. This was no fluke. This was no Cinderella story. One of the most remarkable things about this series is that after the fact, You know, I think everybody's realizing how great they were. But Aaron, going into it, nobody gave him a shot against the Dodgers. Nobody gave him a shot against the Astros. They were massive underdogs in both series. And they ended up beating a team that won 106 games, 107 games. They had phenomenal starting pitching, legit stars who are really hard to get out. All right, Rendon and Soto for starters. Professional hitters like Eaton and Cabrera and Kendrick. You know, but beyond all of that, like, how did people miss out on the fact that this was a team that was seventy-four and thirty-eight from May twenty-third on? They were they, they they were rolling through the postseason. This is not NC State or Villanova. You know, in nineteen eighty-three or nineteen eighty-five, they were just damn good. Really, uh, one of the better teams and one of the better runs in recent major league history.
1: You know. Uh, you were you're thinking about a comparison. The comparison to me would be those '01 Diamondbacks teams, a team With that was pitching. very, very great pitching, very good hitters. Luis Gonzalez was, you know, an MVP candidate that year, but they were overshadowed. They were facing these other just juggernauts. In this, in that case, the Yankees. In this case, the Astros, who were a juggernaut. The Astros were one of the best teams we had seen in baseball for the past couple of decades. And that's the, re- that's the reason why it, it this snuck up on some people and why, I don't know, where did Game 4 ended up going up off? I know that was close. It was bouncing back and forth. But why the Nationals were underdogs in every single game with the exception of Game 4 yeah. in this World Series. That's what it was. It, it wasn't so much a knock. on. Of course, the knock was the bullpen, and they just decided, you know what, we won't use the bullpen, yeah. which, which ended up working. You know, There was questions about whether it would or would not working. Uh, would or would not work. Sorry, I'm still uh, yeah. tired from the celebration. Well, the, the last point night, is, but, yeah. is the
0: point I'm trying to make is this wasn't a plucky little no. train that you know that that tried hard. But it, it'll
1: be remembered like that <clears throat> Dimebacks team, who is now remembered not necessarily yeah. as a plucky little little train, but as a underdog who I don't know about overachieved, but an underdog who pulled off big upsets in the playoffs.
0: Bottom line is, if you take the last five months, not the last month, the last five months of the season, the Nationals were the best team, and they proved it uh, with a hot run through the postseason. You know, they were fortunate. You know, I've mentioned this many many times over the last month. They were fortunate to get by Milwaukee in the wild card game. You know, they needed some questionable, uh, certainly some questionable bullpen management by Dave Roberts to beat the Dodgers in Game 5. You know, but again, eighty six and forty three. They were winning two out of every three games over a five month period, and they beat a team that won one hundred and six games and a team that won one hundred and seven games to win it all. They were the hottest, and they were the best team at the end of the regular season, and they were the absolute best team in the postseason. Yeah, they were a wild card winner, but those who identified this before the the playoffs started were few and far between. There were a couple of people that said hey, they're dangerous because of their starting pitching. But almost everybody said the same thing, that they can't get it done because they have a major flaw a historically bad bullpen. But what did Dave Martinez do, as you just mentioned, Aaron? He managed around that bullpen. He didn't use it, basically. And you can do that in the postseason. And he did it as aggressively and smartly as anybody's done it in a long, long time um dave Dave Martinez did a phenomenal job managing you know around this clear flaw, and then I am so happy today for Mike Rizzo. I like Mike Rizzo a lot i don't know Mike Rizzo super well, but we've had occasion over the last eight nine years to be in different places at the same time. He used to come on the radio show all the time before they he was contractually obliged to be a part of the uh, of the station that has the team's right rights but uh he's smart he's also one of these dudes who is competitive as hell and is a backed-into-a-corner, come-out-fighting guy. Remember his reaction to Strasburg being shut down. He knew he was right in the moment. He's been proven right to a certain degree. You know, you don't know that Strasburg wouldn't have, you know, that they wouldn't have won the World Series with Strasburg pitching great in 2012, and then having, you know, Tommy, you know, having a a, a, a perfectly uh, spotless career with respect to injury. You don't know that that wouldn't have happened, but he did win it here in 2019. He is right now the best pitcher in the game, maybe, Um, you know, he and and Garrett Cole uh, combined. But, you know, saying World Series champions Washington is really something to say for people of my age, older, and certainly some people who are younger as well. It just never, ever seemed possible. You know, we're sitting here on October 31st, Halloween, and how many years, you know, a lot, okay, like, you know, we're talking about essentially 50 years of of having not 50 because we've had opportunities here in the last state but you went 34 without even a chance of participating in this thing. And I've always enjoyed the World Series. I've always enjoyed the bo- uh, the baseball postseason. And how many times that there was a seventh game or a game six in the World Series, and you're just watching it as a baseball fan, as a postseason baseball fan, not ever even thinking. You have to understand, there, there, there it got to a point in the 80s in 90s, you didn't even think about a Washington team being involved in the Fall Classic. Well, they were involved in it this year, and they won it. And they are... World Series champions. And last night's game was fascinating. It was another one of those games where there will be a lot of questions asked of one of the two managers for weeks to come. And the bottom line with last night's game is A, they won it the way they've won it all postseason long, with another come from behind win, their fifth come from behind win in an elimination game in this postseason. It's never happened before. But to me, the story of the game last night, before we got to the seventh inning, was Zach Granke. Oh, yeah. He was incredible. He was incredible in the same way that Annabelle Sanchez was incredible in game one of the NLCS. It wasn't with overpowering might. You know, it wasn't dominating. It wasn't, you know, intimidating. It was crafty. It was artistic. He was throwing 63 mile per hour off-speed stuff with 90 to 91 mile an hour perfectly placed fastballs. He had the Nats completely completely on their heels they were swinging and missing they were looking at stuff that they thought was going somewhere else he really had a masterpiece going into the seventh inning and then he gave up on the one mistake he made all night long he gives up a homer to Rendon and then look the Nats were on the wrong side of almost every ball strike call in this series in the first five games anyway and last night two and one on Soto he throws a strike a bottom line, I mean that's not even debatable. He throws a strike. It should be two and two on Soto. Instead, instead, it's called a ball. It goes to three and one and you could see the reaction from Granky. It's almost like it took a little bit of the life out of him because maybe he knew then that he was coming out. Maybe he needed to get Soto. And at three and one, he was not going to give Soto something to hit. And so he walked Soto, and that was it for Granky. That was it. After You know, two hits and one earned run, and the pitch count at 80. That was it. This dude. I mean, go through his innings. One, two, three, top of the first. All right. Now, he did um, in the the second inning, I'm sorry. He gave up the single to Soto, and then he got Kendrick to ground into a double play. So it was three batters faced in the bottom of the second. One, two, three, top of the third. One, two, three, top of the fourth. In the fifth, he walked Kendrick, but then got the other three. In the sixth, a one, two, three inning. Like, this dude was killing it. And A.J. Hinch decided... That the Rendon Homer and the walking of Soto was it. And this is where we get into this conversation, Aaron. And I want to have this conversation here for about two minutes about analytics and all of the analytics people out there when it comes to this sport more than any other. And to me, you know, I am open-minded. I like as much information as I can have. I would never, ever in any of these sports, manage or coach based just on numbers and math, just based on historical numbers and probability. I would never manage that way. I would never coach that way. I think context is everything. I think understanding you know, your players and the psychology of where they are in the moment is just as important. However, this was my reaction when Greinke got pulled. CJ sent me a text. He said, oh, my God, did Hinch just make a mistake? I've been brainwashed into this because I was expecting him to get pulled. And I said, I texted him back, and I said, maybe he got him out just in time because that's what you hear from all the analytics people. You take him out one pitch too early rather than one pitch or one batter too late. I have no idea what what Zach Granke would have done moving forward. Have no idea. But I would have never felt that way two or three years ago. But I felt it coming. Like, look, A.J. Hinch was hoping to get five innings from Greinke. But he was getting, at that point, he had six and a third. And he was still dealing. All right? this He had one bad pitch and then got robbed on a 2-1 pitch to Soto. And yet, I'm sitting there and I'm like... I think it's probably time. It sounds like they know what they're doing. They understand where he is. They understand what's going on with his arm angle, with his velocity, with each of his pitches. They know. And, you know, Galdi said this morning, Galdi's a big analytics guy. Absolutely. That was 100% the right thing to do. But in hindsight, been better off leaving Granke in there than pitching Will Harris. Harris comes in and promptly in two pitches gives up two run homer to Kendrick and then uh, gives up a, a single to Cabrera and he's gone. You know, some will say maybe the bigger mistake was he should have taken Granke out, but he should have put Garrett Cole in or he should have put Asuna in. You know, it was a high leverage spot, you know, air quotes, high leverage. You know, you put your best pitcher in there. And Will Harris really probably wasn't the best pitcher, although he was a good reliever this year. He was a little bit gassed, too. He talked about that, apparently, from the night before. Remember, he gave up the home run the night mm-hmm. before to Rendon. So what did you think? I thought, here's the interesting thing. Greinke looked rattled by that ball
1: call, the 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 bad call. He did. It looked like he was kind of muttering to himself, you saw Soto, you know, do the Soto thing with him. He did look a little bit rattled, and it might be a situation where the manager saw that. You know, he had just made a bad pitch to Rendon. He made that miss. He was talking to himself a little bit. And with someone like Greinke, who does get in his head some, you know, get his own head sometimes, it might have been a mistake. It, it might have been a mistake to uh, – or it, it might be the right move to pull him there. But, yes, obviously in hindsight it was a mistake. I do want to address one part of that, the Garrett Cole aspect. You were never putting Garrett Cole in in that situation. This is a guy who has never since college come out of the bullpen in any situation – If you are, why was he up pitching?
0: Why was he up warming
1: up? Because you could have pitched him, but you had to give him a clean inning. You weren't bringing him in mid inning. Like that's not something maybe he could have done it, but it's not something that I'm trusting him to do in that situation. A starter in general, I want him to have a clean inning.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I know that that's the, the, uh, I know people agree with that. I personally, I think you're trying to win a game and you need to get, you need to get a dude out. You need to get Howie Kendrick, yeah. and you need to get uh, Cabrera out to to end the inning, and to, to I think Ozuna was the right call. Yeah, well, Ozuna would have been a guy, but you know, typically a closer has you know a full inning. I don't know how many four out saves he has. He's, he's had a decent. <clears throat> okay, yeah. well, the bottom line is is that I, I bring it up because I know all the analytics people were like, "Yep, they took him out just in time um, because it was getting late early for him." uh and typically in the past i would have been like what is he doing you're going to take this dude out with a two hitter one mistake and a bad break on a ball strike count and you're going to take him out the nationals are flailing against this dude now it was also what the third time around in the order you know, and, and I'm sure he was hoping to get you know the, the, I, I'm sure he was hoping to get him through three or four times around the order when when they came up in the seventh is that their third time around the order or fourth third yeah third so um but anyway I personally two three years ago would have said gotta pull him I, I mean gotta keep him in there it's nuts to pull him but I've been brainwashed by all these people because I saw it and felt it coming and I actually said to myself and I texted CJ back and I said maybe they got him out just in time. We'll see. Uh, it didn't turn out well for Houston. It turned out great for the Nats and the middle of that lineup. You know, starting really with you know Eaton in the in the two spot. Eaton, Rendon, Soto, Kendrick. Do you know they had seventy eight RBIs in this series in the playoffs? Excuse me, fifty one of the seventy eight RBIs. Eaton, Rendon, Soto, Kendrick. That's amazing. That is what happened in this postseason. At every turn, in every big spot, it was one of those four guys that came through. And they all at times seemed un you know, they very difficult to get out. Rendone, really more than any of them. Rendone was the guy that when he got out or he didn't make great contact, I was shocked. I mean, he well, was so good. Well, you saw so that stat
1: good. going after the uh, home run last night, right? How, like the outrageous numbers he put up? It was like oh. after after the seventh inning in elimination games, it was walk, home run, double, double, walk, home run, double.
0: That's right. They put that up there, and then he flew out to center in the eighth, right. by the way, last yes. night um, with uh, with I think one base runner on. Um, but there, w- I, I don't, I didn't write it down because it was it popped up pretty quickly. But essentially, Rendon in the postseason. Seventh inning on, had a stretch where it was you know nothing. It in elimination home games. In elimination games, yes. It's seventh inning on. So the Milwaukee game, the Dodgers uh, two, games two games against the Dodgers, and the two games against Houston. That it basically all it was were walks, singles, doubles, and home runs. He didn't have any outs until last night in the eighth inning um when he flew out to center on a pretty well hit ball. By
1: Here we way. go. Yeah. Uh, actually, elimination game this postseason Anthony Rendon. Walk, home run, double, double, home run, double, home run.
0: That's unbelievable. I mean that's almost, that's incredible actually. Um couple of key portions to the game. So Scherzer, you know, didn't have his best stuff. I mean, bottom line, Scherzer was putting a lot of people on base. Th- these were not stress-free innings for him. You know, he was battling just like he did in game one without his best stuff. They were hitting balls hard against him. You know, from the from the get-go, they were hitting balls hard. And he was in trouble in the bottom of the se- se- uh, second to start with. Guriel homers, and then you go Alvarez and Correa back-to-back. And I really thought when Ch- Ch- uh, Chirinos uh, sack-bunted and popped out, I-, I thought that was a big mistake for Houston. You know, that, that's one of those moves. That's a National League move. You know, you got one in, you got runners on first and second, and your eight hitter's going to sack bunt a, a guy, by the way, who's hit two home runs in the World Series. Like, what were they doing there? Did they think, because it's the second inning at that point, and you got Granky, who you're not expecting him to throw what he ended up throwing. You're expecting you're going to need runs tonight. I was shocked. That was a huge out for the Nats to get. Right? Uh, Chirinos pops out on a sack bunt attempt, and then he gets out of that inning, by the way, with a catch by Soto in left field on a hard hit ball by Springer to end that inning with runners on first and second, uh, runners on second and third, excuse me. Then in the bottom of the third, you know, he walks Bregman. Um, he's already uh, allowed Altuve on. He's got two runners on in the bottom of the third, he's got two runners on in the bottom of the fourth. You know, uh, Reddick singled, Springer walked. He was, each of these innings, and, and what did we keep seeing pop up? The same thing we saw all weekend long for the Nets. They are leaving men on base, and they are oh for whatever with runners in scoring position. And I really felt like the 2-0 was a big problem for Houston. I really did feel that way as the game was getting deeper and deeper. I was like, except for the fact that they couldn't hit Cranky. like. But I was like, is that going to last? You know, but the problem was if it lasted until they got to Garrett Cole, that was going to be a problem too. But I really felt like Houston could have had a much bigger lead in the game and probably should have had a much bigger lead in the game. But, you know, Scherzer seems to grind it out and walk off the mound for good, only allowing two earned runs, even though he was under siege there for a while. It felt like it to me. Uh, that's just what Scherzer does, he, you know. He Not does, all the time. Sometimes no, he's unhittable.
1: Well, uh, exactly. Sometimes he's unhittable. Yeah. But when he's under siege, he doesn't tend to. You know, he might give up the one or two runs. He doesn't get a barrage of runs for the most part. And and that was part of it last night. Yeah, I was surprised by that bunt too. I think they were just getting too fancy. They were thinking, "Oh, if we can just you know chip away a run here, run there, we'll get Scherzer out of the game early," which would have, you know been at least at that point looked like a disaster for the Nats if Scherzer hadn't gone long I assume that's what they were thinking
0: but yeah I mean they got too fancy for their own good and it cost them yeah cost them uh, big Um, obviously you know Kendrick you know uh, so the, the other the other thing about that stretch of the game in the seventh is you know you've got a Houston team there and he's got you know he's got a guy throwing well and this is where sometimes you're just too smart for your own good. You know, if you're not sure, just ask a team like Houston how smart they are. And so if that's the question they'll ask all, have to answer all we, all, all off season. And AJ Hinch said afterwards, "No, I felt like we got him at the right time. You know, we we wanted him to, you know, through the uh, order twice, and he was brilliant. But we think we got him at the right time, and we think we had the right reliever in there. Will's been one of our, Will Harris has been one of our best relievers all year." and uh, it just didn't work out. Um, amazing, amazing game. Uh, and the last two games in particular, I had no problem with Steven Strasburg. In fact, I thought and predicted he would win the MVP, but at the same time, I would not have had a problem had Rendon won it. I mean, those were the two. You could throw in Soto if you wanted. You could actually make a case for Eaton, you know, in the series that he ended up having, but to me, you got two unbelievable starts in this series on the road from Steven Strasburg, including an epic performance in game six to save them. You know, to me, that is the guy. And I know that Rendon played seven games and came through in every single big spot for them. But I I had no problem with Strasburg winning the MVP. I think he deserved it. Uh, wouldn't have put up a fight or, or argued much if Rendon had gotten it.
1: I thought it was going to be Rendon. I probably would have voted for Rendon just because of his impact on, you know, all of those games. But, yeah, you have a very good case for Strasburg, especially when a lot of times the MVP award also, even though it's not, you know, totally supposed to, takes into account the rest of the postseason as well. Uh, I mean, his, the, his story in the postseason, incredible. I know we, we talked about it earlier this week, but my God. Steven
0: Strasburg, this is what we were expecting back in 2010. It was incredible, and what a transformation. I loved watching him late last night with his young wife and young two daughters. Um, They're super young, and I just watched that, and I just thought, wow, what – What a nine years, you know, eight or nine years he's had here in Washington. And by the way, let me just mention, because I want to come back to Strasburg here in a second. We didn't mention how great Patrick Corbin was last night in relief. I wanted him to come out for the eighth. I'm glad he came out for the eighth. He was great. That slider... Just had them uh, completely stymied, and those three scoreless innings pitched by Patrick Corbin were awesome. And then Hudson was great in the ninth, and I loved the way he threw his glove, you know, when he got that last Mm -hmm. strikeout. Um, But Strasburg, I, I, I talked about this this morning on radio, and it sort of dovetails into just the whole feeling of of being a Washingtonian today, especially you know a long. Um, life, you know, native Washingtonian like I and some of you are, um, but he's he's on set on the MLB Network with his wife and his two young kids, and I'm just looking at this guy and I'm like, wow, he's 31 years old now. You know, that night back in June of 2010 when he threw 14 strikeouts in his debut against Pittsburgh and the Costas call, which is, you know, epic. And, and you've got, you know, you've got this, this promising, you know, uh, unbridled uh, era to come. You know, that just the thoughts of, wow, they're going to have one of the best pitchers in the sport for years to come. He is, by the way, the first. First pick overall in the draft to ever win a World Series. The highest drafted pitcher in the history of baseball to win a World Series. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, the highest drafted player to win a World Series. Josh Beckett was the second overall pick, I believe, and Reggie Jackson was the second overall pick. So him being the first overall pick, he's the, the highest drafted player to ever win a World Series. I'm pretty sure I saw that last night. But I started thinking about, you know, now that this series is over, Aaron, he's got three days to opt out. You know, he's got three days to opt out. And, you know, Rendon's going to be a free agent as well. And in looking at him last night, you know, and hearing what Tommy has said about Rendon and Strasburg and others have said the same thing, I think they're both going to be on the team next year. I think that they are both guys that don't seek the big media markets like New York and L.A., Chicago, Boston, whatever. You know, they don't need that. They don't want that. They like the comfort of where they are. They, they're they not big into change. You know, Strasburg's a Southern California guy. Um, but you know the one thing that you realize about Washington um, and some of these athletes—you you 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 talk to some of these guys and some of these front office people that end up moving here to work for the teams—they love it here. This is a great city, and it's a great city to raise young kids, kids in general. It's a great place, and so maybe Strasburg understands that and wants that, and I hope he does because I would hate if he and Rendon. Aren't on this team last ep- year.
1: How epic would it be if they they fly back? You have uh, Lerner negotiating there, and then at the parade they announce that uh, they've given Strasburg a new contract.
0: It would be awesome. <laughs> it, it really would be. I the, I, I want to see this team back next year intact, and that mm-hmm. means more than anything right now. Rendon and Strasburg. Just give them a blank check. Well, you got. You're going to have to with Rendon yes. because Rendon's going to be able to get. He he will get numbers that are ridiculous. Remember this postseason you know, was awesome, and it ends up in a World Series title, but for the Nationals, it made the negotiation with Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasberg much more difficult. Because here's the bottom line, and I you may not feel this way, Aaron, I think most sports fans really had no idea who Anthony Rendon was, and a lot of baseball fans just didn't know how good he was. The hardcore baseball people knew. Um the casual baseball fans and just the sports fans they didn't know well, now everybody knows he's a top five player in the sport, yeah, you know he might be as good as trout. I mean, he is defensively he is great, and he is clutch, and he is also a great dude. It's not about him, he's a great teammate, he's low maintenance, all of the things an organization would love to have without necessarily the big, booming personality of Bryce Harper. By the way, when you think about this, too, Patrick Corbin last night and spending all that money on Corbin, which wouldn't have been spendable if they had spent it on Bryce Harper. I loved Bryce Harper. I think they would have been great with Bryce Harper. But, boy, did they need Patrick Corbin last night. That, that, That contract came through last night.
1: It was I what I, was I went to Nationals Park for the watch party. Was oh, yeah. How with, was that? Oh, it was crazy. It was. I mean, it was a little bit dampened early on because of the rain and people were in the concourse or in the club level, you know, inside. But, you know, throughout the night, it, start, it stopped uh, raining more and more. And, and by the end, it was absolutely crazy. But I, I was sitting with some friends and they were all freaking out. They didn't want to see Corbin in this game. And Corbin just that was the performance of a lifetime for him.
0: Oh yeah, it was unbelievable. He had he also had that four out performance in the Dodgers series as well. Couple of things from the series. Um, the the. Th- Three winner-take-all games that the Nats won during this postseason. First time that's ever happened. The Milwaukee game, the Game Five against the Dodgers, and the seventh and deciding game last night. We know about the seven straight road, uh, the six straight road wins in a World Series. Now it's seven. Like the first ever World Series, the first ever series period, best of seven in any sport, where you had six road teams win, but never, obviously, have you had. All games won by the road team. Not in Major League Baseball, not in the NHL, not in the NBA, any best of seven. Mention the come from behind in the five elimination games. How about this? The second team ever, to win a World Series where they were 12 games or worse below five hundred. The last team to do it was the 1914 Boston Braves. That's 105 years ago, boys and girls. A couple of other things real quickly that I wanted to mention. Number one, did you see Garrett Cole, what he, what he did after the game? I what did he said? see this, yes. Garrett Cole, who was going to be a free agent, um, when he was interviewed, he had a hat on. It was a Scott Boris Corporation hat. Um, and he said the following um, in the locker room after the game. Quote, I'm not an employee of the team. I guess as a representative of myself and me, in terms of how he was going to speak after the game. That is one first-rate tool moment by somebody. That's a true colors moment. That is a you know, you just lost your team and you just lost game 7 of the World Series and he was making it very clear that the team that he's been a part of and that just lost game 7 doesn't mean anything to him anymore. That's stupidity by the way. His talent, his incredible pitching ability is going to get him a great contract, but I'll tell you what, that's one of those things where if your team interested in signing him, you look into him a little bit deeper than you once did, because that is not a great way and uh, to handle something. It is a terrible look to have Scott Boris Corporation hat on your head and to be talking about how you're not an employee of the team anymore. Like, hey, it's over. I'm glad I'm leaving. I don't want to part of you and... Uh, I don't want to be a part of you anymore. It, it, it's it's really off-putting. Um, and I kind of liked Garrett Cole throughout this postseason. I thought he was really good as an interview after these games, and obviously he was an electrifying um, pitcher to watch. Last thing on the World Series. So um, I said this on the radio show, and I got a bunch of feedback, um, both positive and negative on this. But basically – For the first um, night of of October when they played Milwaukee and then really when you started to see what I'm going to describe here in a moment, it it happened at the end of the Dodger series because they were on the verge of winning the National League Division Series and they were advancing to the National League Championship Series for the first time as a franchise. And during that stretch, you saw a lot of references to Montreal. A lot of Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, Gary Carter and the Expos in the team's history in Montreal. And I said this before in the podcast earlier in the month, I said, you know, to be honest with you, I don't I don't have any feelings about, you know, or any connection to any of those names or the team or the city. You know, my city's baseball history is from 1901 to 1971, part of the American League. You know, there was a World Series title with Walter Johnson, the greatest pitcher in the history of the game, in 1924, and there were World Series losses in 1925 and 1933. Ted Williams came here to manage the Senators in 1969. That's part of the team's history. I remember the Senators before they left in 1971. I yearned for another team when I was a young kid and into baseball in the 70s and in the 80s, all right? The references to Montreal, for me, just didn't connect. And what I really liked about the World Series, and it really started to happen towards the end of the National League Championship Series against St. Louis, is that all of the references were to Washington and Washington's history in baseball. And so I got a lot of people from Montreal and a lot of Expos fans that were tweeting me and saying, we were really into this, we've been following the Nationals, and how dare you? And, and listen, I understand there's a parochial, regional, you know, sort of um, feeling, maybe even narrow-minded view when I say that. But it's the way I feel. Like, And I tried to, to, to explain to a couple of the people, do you think Baltimore Ravens fans talk about Bernie Kosar being one of the great franchise quarterbacks in history? Of course not. Johnny Unitas was one of the great quarterbacks in Baltimore football history not Bernie Kosar they don't celebrate the dog pound in Baltimore just like when the senators and we lost two teams in Washington all right I wasn't alive for the first one I was barely alive for the second one all right when they moved to Texas do you think Texas people referred to this senator's history or the now they didn't have a previous baseball history so maybe they did but we had a baseball history It's not a knock on Montreal. It's not a knock on the Expos. It's not a knock on people who rooted for the Expos who are now rooting for the Nationals. I just preferred and found it much better and much more connective to me when later in this postseason, in this World Series in particular, when Fox and others talked about Washington's history with baseball rather than the franchise's History going back to Montreal. That's all. I liked the the full screens last night of what it was like in 1924 and Walter Johnson and all of that. Much more than the Gary Carter, Tim Raines, Andre Dawson, Expos of '81 team, which I, I I've got no connection to. So anyway, that's the way I feel about that. And again, it's not a knock. It's not a criticism. It's not condescending towards Montreal or the Expos or any of those players. It's just that's the way I think most Washingtonians feel. The history of baseball in Washington isn't the Expos, okay? It's the Senators. And I was glad to see the network really push that and focus on that rather than earlier in the postseason, there was a lot about Montreal. Anyway, um, that's my feeling on that. Um, What a season. What a freaking season. Seriously, I mean, I I got to
1: apologize.
0: Think about back in May. I was calling for Davey Martinez's head every show, basically. Yeah, you and Tommy both were talking about that. And then, you know, how about just the conversation? And it was brief about what can they get from Max Scherzer before Mm -hmm. the trade deadline? I mean, you know, and by the way, we're going to lose Anthony Rendon. And that's going to really suck because you've already lost Bryce Harper. And man, don't the learners and Mike Rizzo, they're, they're looking foolish here. I mean, look—if they went out against Milwaukee in that wild card game, there would have been a lot of that conversation. Of course, a lot of that conversation, because I still believe that Dave Martinez managed brilliantly for the entirety of the postseason. But if they had lost to Josh Hader, if you know, if if Zimmerman doesn't get a broken bat bloop single, if Michael A. Taylor doesn't get hit by a pitch, if you don't have a rookie error in right field on a Soto hit in the bottom of the eighth and you lose that game personally I would think that the big mistake in that game was not starting Steven Strasberg and that it really cost them because Max Scherzer was not great in that game he gave up two home runs early and they got behind and then somehow they beat the best closer in the sport if not we would be long gone and long done talking about the Nationals, except we would probably spark the conversation up today because there'd be the three-day window for Strasburg to opt out, you know. But what a difference um, a month makes, and what a fine line in sports. I've talked about it a lot. You know, they were so close to losing a wild card game; they had to rely on Dave Roberts to keep Clayton Kershaw in there, you know, one batter too long, if not two batters too long. But the bottom line is, with all that said, this was a really, really good team. The best starting pitching, that they they had incredible stars offensively. A uh, very good defensive team, as it turned out. Certainly in this World Series, Rendon, Turner, and Cabrera were outstanding. You know, Zimmerman at first base, outstanding. Soto was outstanding in left field, Eaton in right. You know, Robles finally got a hit last night. I was happy about that. Yes. So um it was just a hell of a season. And I don't know, you know, we can have this conversation on another podcast, but I'll just briefly address it. I don't know what this means in terms of like the increased interest for baseball in this city, the increased interest in the Nats. Like, will attendance be significantly higher next year? Because it was down last year. Will television ratings jump up next year because they were down this year? I would expect that yes to both of those answers, but I think I mentioned this to you the other day, Aaron, or it may have been on radio. What I do absolutely expect is that if they are a playoff team, this city will be so fired up next October for mm-hmm. another postseason. Oh, 100%. You know, even and, more so than it was and, for this
1: one. And it's why, you know, going back to what we had said earlier, it really is important to keep this team together. I'm not normally the guy who goes out and says, oh, well, you know, they did this for you, so you have to pay them for it. But because of what this could mean for this franchise, what this could mean for this city, I think you do need. You can't have this high off of the parade and then immediately
0: potentially lose two of the best players off of that team. I think that would be damaging. Yeah, I mean, look, when the Caps won it two years ago, what happened? Barry Trotz was gone, you know, and I don't know how big of a deal that was. It's not nearly the big of. It, it, it's not nearly as big of a deal as losing Strasbourg or Rendon. Yes. But still, you finally won a title and you got, you know, sort of chintzy to a certain degree. You got cheap with your coach. And by the way, they didn't win it last year without him, did they? Although they are the best team in hockey right now, points-wise.
1: They're really good early on here.
0: Um, all right. Uh, quick word about MyBookie.ag. You've been looking for a place to bet. I've got it for you. It's MyBookie.ag. They are reliable. They've got fast payouts. They've got quality lines. And they've got plenty of ways to bet games. You know, baseball's over. Uh, the Astros, by the way, last night went off as a 140 favorite. By the way, Aaron, just so you know, they were plus 130 on the run line, minus one and a half. I looked at all (laughs) of it. All right? I did not end up playing anything because last night it would have been a good happiness hedge, but I just wanted to root for the Nats. So Mm -hmm. um, mybookie.ag for all of your football betting and basketball betting to come. By the way, just remind me to mention the Wizards game. Uh, last night because it's just a, a phenomenal uh, basketball game that I didn't see any of, but I did record it and I may go home and watch it because it was crazy good uh, for a regular season NBA game. But anyway, mybookie.ag is reliable, guys. There are lots of places that aren't. This place is big. They're proven. They've got lots, of thousands and thousands of customers. You'll get paid if you win. They've got solid lines. Just go to mybookie.ag and use my promo code Kevin. DC. if you do they will double your first deposit that's mybookie.ag promo code kevindc and you play you win and you'll get paid all right uh you know what i'm going to mention the wizards right now because i didn't see any of this game but uh, on social media last night there were some people that were watching it there were and the wizards and rockets last night played a game that finished final score in regulation with no overtimes 159 to 158. I, I saw that on uh, as it popped up on like in my ESPN
1: app or something. I, I thought it was a glitch.
0: I really I, did. This is like for some of you that that loved the NBA in the 80s. This is like a Nuggets Spurs game. You know, where there was no defense and somebody won the game 163 to 149. It it was an all-star game. 159 to 158. The score at halftime, the Wizards had a 77 to 76 lead at halftime. In the second half, the Wizards scored 81 points and the Rockets scored 83. There were no overtimes in this game. James Harden had 59 points. He was 18 of 32 from the floor. 6 of 14 from behind the arc and 17 of 18 from the free throw line. Westbrook had a triple-double. Westbrook's playing for Houston now if you didn't know. They're 3 and 1. For the Wizards, okay. Hachimura is off to a great start, their first round pick. He he had a double-double in the opener. I think he was averaging 16 and 9 coming into last night's game. He had 23 last night and 5. Had 23 points last night. And then uh, Bertans, the the guy that got from uh, San Antonio, continues to shoot lights out. Had 21 off the bench. Isaiah Thomas is a wizard this year, for those that didn't know it. 17 points, 10 assists off the bench. Beal went for 46 last night. Best shooting night of the year, 14 to 20 uh, from the floor, 7 of 12 from behind the arc. And the Wizards lost the game 159-158. It's funny because I had Scott Brooks on the radio show the other day, and he said, we're going to be very entertaining to watch. You know, you're going to enjoy watching us play this year. And so far, through four games, they are one and three, but they could very easily be three and one. Very easily. They lost 124, 122 to San Antonio uh, the other night. Um, the problem is their first four games, Aaron, have all gone head up against the Nats World Series games. Uh, so I haven't seen any of them, but I will start paying attention now. Also, by the way, college basketball starts next week. One verse two and three verse four. I know. On Tuesday night, you get... um... Duke, Kansas, and Michigan State, Kentucky, right? Is that yes. the doubleheader? Yes. And Maryland opens up Tuesday night against Holy Cross at mm-hmm. home. Maryland is the number seven team in the country preseason. But my God, 159 to 158. Uh, other NBA, as long as we're on it, real quickly, Steph Curry broke his hand last night. Uh, the Warriors, who have been obviously a dynasty, are going to stink this year. You know, no, no, uh, 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 my, uh, no Thompson um, for uh, the season, pretty much, right? I'm pretty sure he's lost for the year. I believe after, I, after, it, it would have been,
1: It know, was, end of the season I, I'm type forgetting. Thing.
0: Was it the ACL or the Achilles? ACL, I believe. Yeah, I think it was too. Yeah. And now Steph Curry's got a broken hand. Yeah. He'll be out for a while. And by the way, they're 1-3. And, and they got beat last night at home by Phoenix, who's a much better team, just if you're interested. All right, that's enough NBA talk uh, for the day. Um, very little of it. Uh, Want to remind everybody that we have an app now. You can get the app uh, on your in the App Store on your iPhone or the Google Store on your Android. Tell me what you think of the app at Kevin Sheehan DC. A lot of people like it. It's very easy. It's very very simple. We didn't, you know, put a lot of stuff in there to give you too many options and make it cumbersome, um, but uh, it's another way to listen to the show. doesn't mean you have to go that route. If you're listening to it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher or TuneIn or any of them, keep listening to it that way. That's fine. If you're listening to it on the website, we're going to continue to have a website and post it there. Um, I'm pleased that so many people are still listening to the podcast, even though I'm back on radio now three hours in the morning on 980. Um, and I'm enjoying being back on radio. I really am. And I'm continuing to love doing this podcast because it's different. Get to do something with Aaron. I get to do something with Tommy twice a week. Cooley comes on a lot, um, as well. Um, so it gives me an opportunity to work with other people that I like that I can't have, um, on the radio show. So anyway, um, Try out the app if you don't mind. Uh, don't do it if you really don't want to do it, but it's another way to to listen to us. And then it's right there on your phone, the app that you can turn to in, in the podcast will get downloaded uh, to the app uh, right when it's done. Um, and we did fix that, by the way. Some of you reminded me that you uh, you had downloaded the app and you weren't getting the show until late in the day. I think we have fixed that. and You're now getting the show right when it's done. All right, let's get to the Redskins. Um, So, Trent Williams yesterday failed his physical, all right? Uh, He's not going to play for the Redskins, just so everybody understands that. The chances that he's going to play for the Redskins again are like 3% at best. Um, He ended his holdout on Tuesday, and the reason he didn't pass pass his physical is because there was discomfort when he put on his helmet. Now, remember, he underwent that surgery to remove the growth on his head, the benign tumor, we believe, on his head in the offseason. Um, Callahan said he would have passed the physical otherwise, and he said that you know there might be a need for a specially designed helmet. The Redskins were given a two-week roster exemption for Trent Williams. Um, so it's two weeks to basically find a helmet. I don't know what that means if they do find a helmet. Here's what I believe and i can't say this for sure cuz i don't know what his head looks like all right i don't know if wearing a helmet is uncomfortable and if he needs a special helmet by the way if they can't find him a special helmet he's done right or or maybe a helmet'll fit next year i don't know but my guess is is that there's probably of the other 31 teams in the league my guess is is that the helmet probably would have fit better on the other 31 teams in the league had he been there You know, certainly another 25 of them. They would have found a helmet or he would have been fine with the helmet. Um, Williams, by the way, unavailable for uh, comment on all of this. He hasn't spoken at all um, on this. Callahan said a lot of nice things about Trent Williams. Um, I'm hearing what I mentioned to you yesterday, which is, you know, the uh, the Nats. The Redskins are going to use this two-week exemption on him. If it becomes a three-week exemption, there's the possibility that contract – um will carry over into next year. that'll be the interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, Trent Williams. All right, a couple of other things on the Redskins yesterday. Uh, there was a, a report. Um, I'm gonna find this on my Twitter because I retweeted it. Uh, so that's the easiest way for me to find it. Somebody sent this to me, and a lot of people uh, referenced it, but basically, Charles Robinson of Yahoo um, said. That six weeks ago, the Redskins could have had a first-round pick for Trent Williams. By the way, Joel Corey, the former agent who does work for uh, CBSSports.com, also says the Redskins would have had much better deals had they made a move for Trent earlier. Um, But Charles Robinson basically said six weeks ago, the Redskins could have had a first-round pick for Williams from Cleveland. Washington waited six weeks. Cleveland basically said, kiss my ass, you're not calling me now. And that sort of goes hand in hand, too, if you recall, with um, the J.P. Finley report from, uh, from yesterday or two days ago uh, that I read on the show yesterday, which is that, um, uh, and let me find that because uh, I've got that here somewhere, uh, J.P. Uh, tweeted out, the one quote that stands out talking with league sources on possible Trent Williams move, Redskins wouldn't take calls on a trade for months and now nobody wants to bail them out. And I said yesterday that that rung very true to me. And, you know, it's the bottom line with them when it comes to almost anything that they do. They're arrogant and they're simple. Um, And that's a terrible combination. And it's not a combination that typically leads to making really good deals. I don't think there's any doubt that the Redskins had an opportunity to pounce on a very, you know, uh, a deal that you you could describe it any way you want. If it was a first in something, to me, that would have been blockbuster. You know, it may not have been the Laramie Tunsil deal because Tunsil's six years younger. But if it were half the Tunsil deal, it would have been a first plus. So you just. It's what they do. This is what they are and what they do. They 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 get they let their emotions influence their football decisions in a negative way consistently do they have justification for really being angry with trent williams i actually think they do and i hope they go after him in a way in which he can't get the accrued deal this year you know he didn't come in he had 2 years left on his deal left he let his teammates down and by the way he really stabbed and backstabbed an organization that was very loyal to him now we don't know the circumstances as to why he's really upset so i will res- i'll withhold you know total judgment on this thing but i tend to think that the redskins have every reason and good reason to be super angry with him but that's really not the point they let those emotions influence football decisions and the football decisions that they make emotionally never work out for them because bruce in particular is you know a hard ass sensitive um and and very petty in in making sure that if he feels he he or the organization was wronged he's not going to let you get away with it part of that i like about him you know part of the you know uh the 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 way he's been fiscally responsible at times compared to the last guy that was here, and we got to go 10 years ago with Vinny Serrato. Um, there's some th- aspects of the way Bruce operates that I don't have a major problem with, but in this particular case, like it was the case with Kirk Cousins, they let their emotions influence a football decision that didn't turn out well for the team. Now, this thing didn't turn out well for Trent either. Okay, It didn't turn out well for Trent very well, especially if he's got to come back next year with two years left on his deal. This guy's lost a lot of money through fines and lost salary. I mean, this has been a big, big loss for him financially. He better make it up with a new deal somewhere else. If not, he will look back on this at 50 years old and say, what in God's name was I doing? How did I throw all of that money away for that? Um, but you know, if the Redskins passed on first round picks and packages that included first round picks, which I believe that they didn't. And by the way, I think they're going to try to convince everybody that nobody was really that interested in Trent, you know, but I, I believe the reporting of Charles Robinson, of Joel Corey, of others. I know from my source, uh, you know, three months ago that new England at the very beginning of August would have. Been willing to part with a first round pick doesn't mean they had a conversation with the Redskins about it. The Redskins weren't all ears, you know, on Trent Williams, which was so, so stupid. Um, But, you know, what are you going to do at this point? It's like it's gotten old. Like we're just continuing to beat the same dead horse. They're not football people. They're not even good business people, you know, when it comes to football things. And it's, it's a shame because it's a big reason why they are where they are. Um, wanted to mention one other Redskins related thing, actually two other Redskin related things. So, um, I was thinking, I had a bunch of conversations, but my thought on this really wasn't based on conversations that I've had. And eh, maybe they were to a certain degree. Um, but I was thinking about the Haskins thing and I've been thinking about some of the conversations that they've been having about Alex Smith recently. And I think that there's a chance that Bruce and Dan um, are are believing that Alex Smith will be healthy enough to be their starting quarterback in 2020 and that that's the plan right now. And that's why they're not super worried about Haskins' lack of readiness right now because they're not going to play Haskins unless they have to play Haskins this year. They're not going to play him next year. That's not the plan. Their 6-3 and quarterback, Alex Smith, is going to be back to save the day. You know, with this wonderful team that's so close that they've been building, but they just haven't had a good coach, and they haven't had good enough quarterback play. Trust me on this. There is a chance that Bruce and Dan and others in the organization, maybe Bill Callahan, are planning on Alex Smith being the quarterback in 2020. We'll just leave it at that. Although actually I wanted to add to that. (laughs) I don't want to just leave it at that. Because think about it this way too. They think that the six and three was super close to something, and some of you agree with it. I I don't. I think that they were not very good offensively, and I think they were about to hit the meat of a schedule, and I think they're going to end up eight and eight, maybe nine and seven. But they were not a Super Bowl contender. They were not really a legitimate, you know, win a couple of games in the playoffs contender. That's not what they were last year at six and three. And by the way, when they say six and three and others say six and three, I say six and four. All right. I, I, it's not six and three. Alex Smith, if he stays upright in the Houston game, they're going to be six and four. All right. Um, but they think, you know, that's when they were close and that's when they had a damn good culture. And in their own mind, they were close last week against Minnesota. They were close the week before that against San Francisco. And if they can get their six and three, they f- say six and three. I say six and four quarterback back next year. They probably are also thinking, hey, you know, Jordan Reed. If we can get him back healthy and just keep him healthy, how many times have we heard that? Hey, how about Eric Flowers? He'll be in year two of the Callahan system. We feel pretty good about that. Landon Collins, year two of the Minuski system, you know, being a part of Greg's system, he'll be even better. They like Bill Callahan too. Bruce does. So anyway, uh, that was more of sort of a trying to connect the dots not, I don't know anything with respect to Alex Smith, but I think that Alex Smith is part of what they're hoping will be the 2020 plan. And that's why they can be super patient with Dwayne because Dwayne's not going to be the starting quarterback here next year. It's going to be Alex Smith. And if it's not Alex Smith and they figure that out by March, then they'll try to re-sign Case Keenum for another year, for another one-year deal. Boy, great times, excitement, You know, in the future, Aaron, with this football team. Cannot wait for some of this stuff. Uh, One last thing, um, sort of Redskins related. Did you see Joe Theismann on Twitter last night? I didn't. Okay, so I love Joe. Most of you know I love Joe. Joe's the quarterback of our first, you know, first world championship. And Joe's a great guest, and Joe is so generous with his time whenever I ask him to come on the, the show. He's always been great. So he was tweeting his ass off last night during the baseball game. He's a big sports fan. Joe's a huge sports fan. He's rooting for all the D.C. teams, which is awesome. Love that he is. But in the midst of the game, he sent out basically a turd that landed in the punch bowl tweet. It it read as follows. You know, by the way, let me give you a couple of of lead-ups to it. Um... You know, go Nats, just jumped out of my chair. Way to go, Nats. Hey, what a great ride they took us on. What a great sight for our fans. And then he tweeted out, and it, by the way, ended up being the biggest response to any tweet he had all last night. Hoping the Skins can ride this wave of enthusiasm into Buffalo and get a win. Oh, Joe. Oh, no. Joe, you didn't read the room very well. I love you. You're the best. It Wait, was did, did he delete that? I don't I don't see it right now on the I've got, uh, timeline. Oh, I have it up. Okay. I have it up. Yeah. At oh, there, there it is. Yeah, yeah. I see it now. Hoping the Skins can ride this wave of enthusiasm into Buffalo and get a win. The one team that didn't congratulate the Nats uh, earlier in the they, postseason. Well, actually, the Redskins put out a big thing. Go Nats yesterday. Good luck go, to the go Nats. Go Nats yesterday. But they, yeah.
1: that was after they faced Did the criticism see, after, I believe it was the NLDS.
0: So if you want to have, you know, five minutes of entertainment, go to the Redskins Twitter account. Look at the responses to them, you know, wishing the Nats good luck. And go to Joe's Twitter account and look at the responses to Joe saying, hoping the Skins can ride this wave of enthusiasm into Buffalo and get a win. By the way, I I do like Joe. And if Joe were on with me right now, I would say, Joe, you basically took a dump in the punch bowl. You do realize that. And I'm sure he realizes it after the fact because here were the responses. And they came fast and furious if Dan Snyder owned the skins in the 1980s, we'd have no idea who you even are, all right? Uh, if only decent, intelligent people ran the organization instead of Dan and Bruce. Uh, wish you could talk some sense into Dan Snyder into firing Bruce. Uh, then, um, don't kill the mood, Joe. Uh, buzz kill, my friend. Um, why would you do that, Joe? Um... Then, you know, uh, you know, love you, Joe, but you know, then you've got, you know, all these, you know, gifs and gifs of, you know, Jerry Seinfeld. I'll tell you, I don't see that happening, Joe, going into Buffalo. And you've got you've got a bunch of different you've got the one um, a gif where you've got the hot chick walking away from the dude with his girlfriend, and the dude's got DC on him. His girlfriend has redskins on him, and the hot chick walking away is the gnats. And of course you have all of the hashtag fire Bruce Allen stuff. Um, let me find a couple of other good ones. Um, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just, you know, oh, Joe, I hope they get blown out. And the realization of Dan Snyder that this team will never have this kind of season under his leadership only intensifies, um, Here's another one. I'd rather lose every game sixty to nothing until they're bankrupt, and that disaster known as Dan Snyder is forced to sell the team. Joe, I love you, but the Skins have not shared any love with the Mystics, Caps, or Nats. They keep thinking they own the town. Um, anyway, it just goes on and on and on. It's it's hysterical. I mean. Poor Joe had no idea, I don't think, what he was in for when he sent that tweet out. And who knows, Probably Joe is probably not even looking at the responses. Although I think he did, actually. I think he may have responded to that one. Oh, he responded to somebody who said, don't kill the mood. He said, not trying to, I'm just hoping. Anyway, uh, that was that. All right, uh, that's enough of that. Um, No smell test picks tonight. Uh, I think I would lean Arizona tonight, but... I'm not going to play it. I'd probably lean West Virginia tonight a little bit at Baylor, but I'm not playing those uh, games. I'm probably not going to play anything. I'll have a full smell test tomorrow um, on the podcast. Uh, Thanks to Aaron for hanging out with me today. Tommy will be back tomorrow because he was on a plane today. Um, But we'll be back tomorrow to preview the NFL weekend, and we'll have some more Nats talk with Tommy as well. Have a great day.